Uh, Nehemiah uh, 11 is the chapter we'll be looking at tonight. And as you're finding that, uh, I'm going to make some assumptions and see if I'm correct. I assume that most everybody here, you live in this area by choice. Now, there might be some that are under house arrest. Uh, I don't know. Probably not. But you live in this community because you've chosen to live in this community. Now, you may have grown up here and you stuck around or you went away for a time and then came back to this community. Or you may have uh, come here from somewhere else. I'm curious. How many of you grew up in this area? I'm just curious. How many of you? Almost everybody. All right. All right. How many of us are? Ch- are you talking about the radio? Oh, oh uh, the radio. Uh, let's see. Uh, 25.8 square miles. No, no. Uh, Anson County. Uh, right around Anson County. All right. How many is Anson County? Everybody except for Lynn and Miss Janet and me. All right. So how many of us are transplants? Just the three of us. Okay. Uh, now, I'm assuming tonight, but I assume that you like living here. Uh, if we were having a conversation about your living here, you'd probably talk about the fact that you love the country. Uh, you love country living. Uh, you love being here with lots of space and few neighbors at times. Uh, you might even mention that you never want to live in the big city. How many are here that would, don't ever want to live in the big city? Okay, pretty much everybody here, okay. Yeah. Now, we, we, we're blessed. We can go to the largest city in our state. We can zip over to Charlotte in an hour. Uh, we can get what we need. We can do what we want to do and then hightail it back to the country, right? If we don't want to go to Charlotte, we can go to Greensboro. And we can go over to Greensboro and do whatever we want to do and come right back home. We love the country. Um, most everybody here, you love Anseville, Polkton, Wadesboro, wherever your neck of the woods is. Um, we love Anson County. But here's the question for you, and that's not one for you to answer out loud necessarily. If you want to, you can. What if God told you to move to the city? How would you respond? That's the question I want you to think about. What if God told you to move to the city? (laughs) How many years I got? Oh, yeah. I didn't catch that. I might end up in a wedding. Oh, okay. Let me just ask you, how many of you have ever lived in a big city? Have ever lived in a big city? Well, let's just hear, what, what city was it, Daryl? Charlotte. St. Pete, Florida. St. Peter, Florida. Charlotte and Durham. Charlotte and Durham. Greensboro. Greensboro. Somebody else had a hand up? Winston-Salem and Charlotte. Okay. Uh, pretty much all stayed in... I think uh, almost all of us stayed in North Carolina. <coughs> Miss Janet uh, went to Florida. That's a hot place, by the way. Mm-hmm. I was there for the convention this past summer. It's like the sun just walks around right on you. you no matter where you go, it's right there. Um, let me share a little bit with, with you tonight about what the Lord has done in our lives and where God took us. Now, I grew up in a rural part of North Carolina, a little town called Gaston uh, in Northampton County. Now, Northampton County is a lot like Anson County. In fact, I went back out of curiosity. I was wondering, who is poor, Anson County or Northampton County? 
And according to the 2000 census, Northampton County has more people under the poverty line than Anson County. So y'all are rich people here, but we were uh, poor. Now, I just share that with you to let you know that uh, it was not Union County, it was not Mecklenburg County, Northampton County is very, very rural. It's, it's a lot of country, it's a lot of farming, uh, very much like what we have here. I have farmer's blood in my veins. My father farmed, grandfather. Uh, now, my father passed away when I was five, so I never farmed, but I have farmer's blood in my, ve- in my veins. Um, I grew up there, uh, and then I went away to college. And the college, I went to a little Bible college. The first two years I went, and it was there for many years prior to that, it was in Pennsylvania. Now, here I am, a country North Carolina boy uh, in a little town of Gaston. Now, we lived in a town, but the town's so small. I think we had 12 stoplights. They're all at the same intersection, but we had 12 stoplights. Um, you know, at a bank and a little grocery store and that kind of thing. Um, so we were in a cluster there, if you will, in the town. But um, I went to Pennsylvania, Hollidaysburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, right outside Altoona, you know, pretty good size. And it was an adjustment. Now, actually, two years after I went to college, the whole college picked up and moved to Withville, Virginia. Now, Withville, Virginia, is pretty, that's pretty much more our speed, if you know what I'm talking about. They've been through Withville, uh, 7781 there. Uh, so we were there for the remainder of the college. I actually came out a little bit early and finished up by correspondence, started pastoring before I actually finished. And then went back and finished um, a little bit. I had like one or two classes I finished up by correspondence. I went back to Gaston and pastored a little over six years. Uh, actually pastored the church I grew up in. I don't know who was more crazy, me or them, to, to do that. Uh, but the Lord blessed it. But we knew it was a time to uh, move on after a little over six years. And so long story short, uh, we ended up in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I don't mean just on the outside. I mean, we were in Knoxville. And um, the city, we moved into a two-bedroom, second-story apartment. Now, to be honest with you, growing up in Gaston, I had hardly even stepped foot in an apartment, uh, much less lived in one. There were not a whole lot of apartments around that I knew about uh, growing up, and it was an adjustment. Um, I think uh, Danielle was three months pregnant with Gideon when we moved, and, uh, of course, we had Gideon. Those were tough times for us. We had no family there. God had moved us there. we were in that apartment in a big city. Uh, BBN doesn't pay a whole lot, just to be honest with you. Uh, Knoxville is expensive. Those were tough times. Long story short, again, God brings us to Charlotte. Actually, Indian Trails where we ended up, but I worked in Charlotte off Pineville Matthews Road. Uh, another adjustment, uh, big time. Um, we lived in a little house in a crowded neighborhood. Some of you had been there uh, to help me when it was vandalized and so forth after we moved here. I mean, crowded, you know. Um, and, and, and soon after we arrived, Gabe was born. And uh, more hard times. I was no longer even getting a mileage check. I was at least getting that in Knoxville, and that fell away when I moved here. But God provided, and God always has provided. And I give Him glory. So... Long story short, again, you know, you guys had uh, Hank as an interim. I'm the fill-in for the fill-in. That's really what I did. I did that for Hank. I did it for another gentleman. We worked at Lylesville, different churches. You you know that part of the story. But here's what was interesting. I went from the country to the big city to the big city and now back to the country. I feel like I've gone full circle, praise God, uh, and I'm back in the country But the key I want you to catch is this. God ordered our steps. We could not see way back 
in college days. Didn't know at first where we are going to go, where we are going to minister. Didn't know when we left uh, Gaston from the pastorate really what the next step was. Uh, and God opened up the door. Ended up in Knoxville. Uh, when it was time to consider moving back to Charlotte, uh, moving back to Charlotte, moving to Charlotte, we really had to seek the Lord's will in that. We weren't sure, you know, what God had, but um, God ordered our steps. Now, there are some things I miss about uh, being in the city. Very few, but a few. <laughs> to get to a good bookstore from here is a long ways. Uh, <laughs> I mean, and I enjoy, I, I love going to, one of my favorite things to do is go to like a Barnes and Noble, like at Pineville, uh, Carolina Place Mall. I, mean, I just, I love it there. I can just browse and just have a wonderful time. I love Christian books for those kind of things, but I love the country life. I, I do love being here where the worst traffic jam you have is the cows got out of the pasture. I like that. Uh, when I go to Charlotte, and all, which I do quite often with hospital visits or different things, uh, I'm glad to get back here. Um, I'm sure you are as well. But here's what I want you to understand. The decision about where we live or where we don't live and what we do and what we don't do is not ours. It's the Lord's. He's master. He's king. Uh, he's Lord. And I say all of that, I testify about all that, just to give you a little back my background, uh, to, to say this to you in our lesson tonight. And this is going to be our overriding lesson I wanted to get to you tonight. Bloom where you're planted. You've heard about that before. You've, you've heard that saying before. Jim Elliott... Uh, that name may ring true or sound familiar to you. It was one of the missionaries that was martyred back in the 50s by the Acre Indians. And you might remember his wife, Elizabeth, had an extensive Bible teaching ministry. Still, she's still out today doing that. But remember, it was Jim Elliott, Nate Sane, and others who went into the Acre Indians and they speared them. And uh, Elizabeth Elliott has a book out, uh, Through Gates of Splendor, I think, tells the story. Because ultimately, she went back in and ministered to these people and they came to the Lord and Remarkable thing. But here's what Jim Elliott once said. I want you to, 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 to chew on this a moment. Wherever you are, be all there. Wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation that you believe to be the will of God. Wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. Now that's good, wise counsel. Now so many people want to be somewhere else. They want to be somewhere else, literally or physically. Uh, aren't there times if you want to be somewhere else? I could be in the Bahamas or on a cruise or whatever. Uh, some people want to be somewhere else, literally, physically. They want to actually move from an area. Some people want to be somewhere else financially. They don't like where they are now, and they're, they're, they, they really want to be somewhere else. Vocationally, they're in a position. They're in a job. They're in something. They're not satisfied. They want to be somewhere else. But the problem is... Sometimes we get so consumed by the, the, the destination where we want to get, we forget to enjoy the journey. We forget that God orders our steps. We forget this too. God is not in a hurry. We're in a hurry. We want to be there yesterday. God is not in a hurry. Why? Because God is trying to grow us. God is growing us. God is trying to make us more like His Son, the Lord Jesus. And that's why these things come in our lives many times, these trials, these testings, these waitings and patience, all these things. God is trying to grow us as believers. Now, if you believe you're here in this community, and I'm speaking broadly in our county, wherever you are, you're all close. 
Um, if you're here by the sovereign will of God, then I want to encourage you tonight to bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. If you're a member of Red Hill Baptist Church, and God has led you here, and God has put you here, and you've joined, I want to encourage you tonight to bloom where you're planted. I'm here by God's appointment. I can't pastor in Oregon or California tonight. Um, God didn't call me there. God called me here. God called me to Anson County. God called me to Red Hill Baptist Church. I'm thankful for that. And with his enablement, I'm going to bloom where I'm planted. The key I want you to get is God is the one who calls the shots. God is the one who says, go, stay, stop. God is the one who orders our steps. As I was thinking about Nehemiah 11 here in these, these thoughts, I couldn't help but think about Abraham. If you want to read it, I'm, I'm going to be reading from Genesis chapter 12. And I thought it was a really interesting passage to, to revisit in light of what we're talking about here in Nehemiah 11. G, uh, Genesis chapter 12, beginning at verse number 1. And I want you to listen to these words, and I want you to put yourself in Abraham's sandals. Do you ever do that? You're reading about a Bible character and you begin to take yourself and put yourself in their sandals. And I want you to see what your response would be to these words. Genesis 12, 1 through 5. Now the Lord had said to Abram, we know him as Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now don't close it up, but just stop for a moment. Put yourself in Abraham's sandals. What did God tell him to do? Leave your home. Leave you. And go where? Go to California? No. Go to a land that I shall show thee, show you. Now look at verse 2. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let's just stop for a moment. How is that true? How are we blessed through Abraham's family? With a covenant, but ultimately through whom? Jesus Christ, right? The descendant of Abraham. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram, notice the next part. Abram was 15 years old when this word came to him. What does it say? 75. 75. And he said, they, they lived a lot longer back then. Yeah, they did. But 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, when you've been somewhere, and we assume he was there, if you've been somewhere 75 years, are you a little bit settled? Yeah. <laughs> You'll find out if you have to move, and you haven't moved in 75 years, or 50 years, or 30 years, or 2 years, that um, stuff collects, doesn't it? Then Abram took Sarai, Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, they got the U-Haul loaded up, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan, so they came to the land of Canaan. So think about Abraham and God's uh, leading them. Think about Moses and the children of Israel. Do you remember how God guided them in the wilderness? Cloud by night. And the cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, right? And, and they had to be ready to move. I mean, if it moved, they moved. If it stood still, they stood still. How would you like to live like that? Yeah, that's that's God's uh, that's God's call. Okay. Now you might say, well, preacher, what does that have to do with Nehemiah chapter eleven? I'm glad you asked. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter eleven, and we're going to look at it. We're going to read it. Now, before you get to chapter eleven, stop at verse number chapter seven. I want to set the stage. 
On your way, go to chapter 7 of Nehemiah, and then we'll go to chapter 11. I want to set the stage of what's going on here. We'll start at Nehemiah chapter 7. We've already studied chapter 7, but I want you to connect it with chapter 11. Nehemiah chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. Nehemiah 7, 1. Then it was when the wall was built, and I had hung the doors, and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, that I gave the charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hanani, and Hananiah, the leader of the citadel, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. And I said to them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot. And while they stood, uh, stand guard, let them shut and bar the doors and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, one in his watch station and another in front of his own house. Now notice verse 4. Now the city was large and spacious. Now stop there. So get in your mind, Jerusalem, large and spacious. Now read the rest of verse 4. But the people in it... Were few. Verse 5. Then my God put into my heart to gather the nobles, the rulers, and the people, that they might be registered by genealogy. And I found a register of genealogy of those who had come up in the first return and found written in it. Then you turn the page or you look on the page there and you see all those people registered. Then we keep going. We got in that great revival. Remember? The word of God is found and they're rejoicing and they're confessing and repenting. So they're not refilling the city yet. But we come to chapter 11 after some of the revivals taking place. Now at verse 1 of chapter 11. And I'll warn you again, this one's full of names. And we'll do the best we can, okay? Nehemiah chapter 11. So we know the problem. What's the problem? Big city, small population. Okay? Usually we have opposite of that today with a big city and a large population. That's why you don't want to live in the city, right? Because you don't want to live on top of somebody else with people everywhere and stuff, right? We want space. They had an opposite problem. They needed to fill the city. Verse 1 of chapter 11. Now, the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine-tenths were to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. These are the heads of the province who dwelt in Jerusalem. But in the cities of Judah, everyone dwelt in his own possession in their cities. Israelites, priests, Levites, Nephilim, and descendants of Solomon's servants. Also in Jerusalem dwelt some of the children of Judah and of the children of Benjamin. The children of Judah, Athai, the son of Uzziah, the son of Zechariah, the son of Amariah, the son of Shephatiah, the son of Mahalil, of the children of Perez, and Masiah, the son of Baruch, the son of Kalhorez, or Hosa, the son of Haziah, the son of Adiah, the son of uh, Jorab, and you see it keeps going down, verse 10, of priest, and it begins to name the priest there. For time's sake, I'm going to move on down and look at verse 15. Also of the Levites. And you begin to look there at all those mentioned there. Verse 19, moreover the gatekeepers, and it begins to mention them, and their brethren were 172. Verse 20, and the rest of Israel, of priests and Levites, were in all the cities of Judah, everyone in his inheritance. But the Nethionim dwelt in Ophel, and Ziha the Gipspah was over the Nethionim. Now verse 22 says, also the overseer of the Levites of Jerusalem was Uzai, the son of Bani, the son of Hashbabiah, the son of Mattaniah, the son of Micah, of the sons of Asaph, the singers in charge of the service of the house of God. For it was the king's command concerning them that a certain portion should be for the singers a quota day by day. 
And he mentions some of their names there. And mentions there that fellow in verse 24. Uh, Pethahiah, the son of uh, Meshazabel, the son of Zerah, the son of Judah, who was the king's deputy in all matters concerning the people. Then it talks about the villages, verse 25. And as for the villages with their fields, some of the children of Judah dwelt in uh, Kerjath Arba and its villages, uh, Dibon and its villages, so forth on through. And then it comes down to verse 31, talks about the children of Benjamin from Geba and where they dwelt. And the end says there, uh, some of the Judean divisions of Levites were in Benjamin. Now, big city, small population. Um, Chuck Swindoll, when he was writing about this, talked about the little couplet we used to say. You remember the little thing we used to do when we were children? We'd take our hands and we would say, uh, here's the church. Can I get it right? It's been a long time. Here's the, is it this way? See, okay. See, I know you knew it. All right, here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors and here's the people. Come on, Daryl, you didn't do it. <laughs> okay. He said a similar couple could probably be hung over the, the main entrance of Jerusalem at this time. Here's what it would say. Here's the wall and here's the city. Open the gates. My, what a pity. And uh, why were there such few people? Well, he writes here, first of all, the city had been without a wall for 160 years. Now, we don't think much about walls that we have. We might have invisible walls or we have defenses in place. We have stuff we have no idea what we have. I mean, if we really knew the capabilities that we have as a country, and I'm thankful we have them, wish we had more. But he says, if my calculations are correct, the Jews spent 70 years in captivity, okay? And an additional 90 years passed before Nehemiah came on the scene. So for more than 160 years, Jerusalem was little more than a pile of debris, a huge dumping yard. If you lived there, you were open to pray to all enemies. So what had the people done? They built themselves spacious, lavishly furnished homes in the suburbs. In the suburbs. Most of the Jews had forsaken an urban life. That's what we find. A lot of people are fleeing from the cities. They want to live out in the suburbs, right? The other reason for the lack of people was the fact that if you moved into the city, you had a lot of work ahead of you. Debris, stones, stumps were everywhere. Now remember, when Jerusalem was attacked and they were carried off in captivity, I mean, you're talking about destruction and just... All kinds of stuff. And so to move back in literally was a lot of work. Picture it in your mind. There's places around here that have gone downhill. I mean, old home places. And if you wanted to live there, you've got a lot of work ahead of you to restore that home and bring it back to its glory. Um, most of the time, you might just want to put a bulldozer there and just bulldoze it down and start over. In other words, moving back to Jerusalem would require sacrifice. One author said it would mean a change of environment a change of neighbors, a change of friends for the children, and a change of lifestyle. Changes, changes, changes. Who likes changes? Well, babies with a dirty diaper, they like changes, but most everybody else doesn't like change, right? We don't like to change. Now, for those of you who have moved, now I'm just curious, how many of you, not counting your move from when you got married from your parents' house to the next house, okay? How many of you have moved long distance? I mean, you've moved um, everything you own to another part of the country, another part of the state. Okay, very a few here. Okay, how fun is moving? It's not. <laughs> it's not fun. 
Now, moving locally, I haven't done much moving locally. I imagine that's a little bit easier. You have to be as careful and pack as careful. Maybe more stuff gets broken. I don't know. But moving is a lot of work. It's not fun. So we have a, a big city with a small population. So what should we do? Well, we read Nehemiah chapter 11. We saw what they did here. And, and here's what we want to learn here. We need to bloom where we're planted. And if we're going to bloom where we're planted, and you're planted here, I think there are at least three things we must do. At least three things we must do. Number one. See how I word it. I'll write it up there and hopefully you can read it, but I'll, I'll still read it too so you know what I'm writing. Number one, live where God wants you to live. Now, I hope you noticed as you read through that passage that not all of the people moved to Jerusalem. You see, some of them were to live in the city and others were to live out into the villages around the city. If everybody moved into the city, what would happen to the villages around the city? They would go down, right? You would need you need the agriculture, you need those farmers and all that goes on outside the city. If everybody lived, if there were no Anson counties, no Northampton counties, no places like that, what would happen to our nation? We'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? Because we need we need the chicken farmers and the turkey farmers and the, the, the people growing soybeans and weed and all this stuff. We need it to survive, right? There are places for that. Now, notice who lived in the city. Verse number one says the leaders of the people dwell at Jerusalem. So a majority of the leaders live there. Verse one also says the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem. Almost like a tithe, if you will. What's a tithe? It's ten percent. So they cast lots. You say, well, what in the world is that about? Well, if you want to put your finger there, Nehemiah, and go to Proverbs, we learn about the lots. Now, there are other places that talk about it, but... Proverbs 16.33, if you want to jot the reference down, Proverbs 16.33 says this. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Let me read that again. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Exactly, it was a little piece of wood or stone or whatever. Let's think about it this way, okay? You have a set of dice, can we talk about dice in church? <laughs> and we're going to make a decision. Daryl, there's ten of us here. One of us is going to the city. Roll the dice and let's see who's going. What in the world is this? Well, did you notice what Proverbs 16.33 says? It says, the lot is cast to the lap. Imagine they rolled it into their you know, lap there. But what did it say the second part of that verse? Every decision. In other words, that was a way they sought out the Lord's will. They would roll those dice and seek out God's will. And let me ask you a question, because I don't want you to go home and grab your dice out of your board games. Is that the way we decide God's will today? That's kind of like, you know, okay, Lord, I need some help. I'm going to open my Bible and I'm going to put my finger down. And whatever I point to, that is what the answer is going to be. Is that a good way to do that? No. Well, let's ask this question then. If we're not supposed to roll the dice and we're not supposed to just you know, point and peck through the Bible, 
How do we as believers today, living in the year we live, living where we are, how do we discern God's will? How do we know if it is God's will for us to move someplace? If God calls us to move to the city, if God calls us to the mission field, if God calls us to make a major change in our life, God calls us to to change careers, to enter the ministry or whatever, how do we know what God's will really is? Okay, Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a, a theological question for a moment. In the Old Testament, did the Holy Spirit indwell believers like He does us today? No. He'd come upon believers. He would fill certain people. But we have a permanent indwelling which is different. The Holy Spirit indwells. If you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit dwells. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We talked about it the other week about taking care of God's temple. The Holy Spirit indwells you. And the Holy Spirit is supposed to fill you. He fills us as we yield to Him. He fills. Everybody has the Holy Spirit that's a believer, but the Holy Spirit didn't have everybody. It's as we yield and obey. Does that make sense? So the Holy Spirit guides us. Uh, he impresses upon our heart. You probably experienced this. You're, you're by somebody, and the Lord speaks to your heart and says, speak a word for Christ to that person. Does that ever happen to you? You have a decision to make. Am I going to obey God, or am I going to rationalize? Most of the time, what do we do? We rationalize. Oh, I don't know if it's probably not a good time. I don't know, you know. God guides and leads to His Holy Spirit. All right? What else do we have? Prayer? Yes. We take that matter to the Lord and we say, Lord, what would thou have me to do? Now, when we come to the Lord in prayer about a decision as we made, don't come with your mind already made up and pray. You're wasting your time. You come and you honestly say, Lord, what would you have me to do? All right, so prayer, the Holy Spirit is another huge one. Huge. Yeah, God's Word. Does God ever guide... Does God the Holy Spirit ever guide us contrary to His Word? Contrary to His Word? No, never. Like those who say, well, the Lord told me to leave my wife for this other woman. You ever heard anybody say that? I understand people have. I've heard of a case. You've heard of a case? Did, did, did God leave that person to leave their spouse? No, because God says what? What God joined together, let no man put us under. Let two be one. Um, don't blame God for your sin. Don't blame God's word for your sin. God, the Holy Spirit, guides according to His word. All right, what else? I've got at least two more things written down of how we can discern God's will. Opportunities. Yeah, I, I call it circumstances. Sometimes you have wise counsel too. That was the other one. Holy Spirit led me that one. Yes. All right, let's talk about this one first. You may want to. You may want to go to China as a missionary. Okay? Circumstances must be right for you to go to China as a missionary. You might be an invalid. You might be bedridden. Do you think that a bedridden person is going to be able to go to China? Not physically. They can pray for China. They can uh, send others to China. But the circumstance, outward circumstances have to be right. I didn't come here. I'll be honest, I didn't come here looking for a pastorate. You know, I didn't know what God had for us. We had sought pastorates before we even moved. And I came out of the pastor, went to work for a Christian radio. I worked in Christian radio in high school. I was a Southern Gospel DJ in high school. 
Um, and then I went to college and then pastored. I had a radio ministry at the church, too. We did radio program on Sunday mornings, um, 15 minutes, I think it was. And then um, we, we moved and went to work in Christian radio. It was totally different. I didn't get to do a whole lot of preaching. I did teach an adult uh, Sunday school class and so forth at the church we ended up at and so forth. We sought pastorates and wasn't God's will. Why? Because God was bringing me here. And it was a long way to get here, it seemed like to me. But God was ordering my steps. And that's the thing. We don't see, God sees the end from the beginning. We just see a little bit at a time, right? We want to see the end. But God grows us through the whole way. You mentioned wise counsel. You're right. That's godly counsel. And that's, that's proper to go to someone and say. Because they can bring a whole other light to you and, and say, look, well, did you consider this verse? Did you consider this truth? Did you consider this fact? And I think sometimes, uh, let's throw another one. I have this written down. Let's do one more here. Sometimes it comes down to common sense. Not always. Because God's will does not always make common sense, right? But a lot of times it makes sense. So I, won't, I wouldn't say that's necessarily you have for that, but sometimes this is very, very important. <laughs> There's a lack of that. But sometimes God's word is actually uncommon sense. It doesn't make sense from a human standpoint. Now, people that leave careers or leave you know, everything and go give everything up to be a missionary, does that make common sense from a human standpoint? No. Stay in your job and send money. Right? That's common sense. Send, send ten people. No, God called you. You go. So sometimes common sense, sometimes it's uncommon sense. But you're led by the Lord. So you notice there's leaders. There's those chosen by casting lots. There are volunteers. Verse 1. It says, uh, an, um, uh, verse 2. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. There were those who said, I'll go. I'll dwell at Jerusalem. And then others mentioned throughout the passage. Live where God wants you to live. Does God want you to live here? Then live here. Number two. Let me get rid of my journey. We're running low on time. Two. Stay as long as God wants you to stay. Stay as long as God wants you to stay. Now, obviously, it was okay for these people who were dwelling in other cities, to dwell in those cities for a time. But there came a time where God wanted some of them to, to leave those villages and move to the city of Jerusalem. The casting of lots was to seek God's will. And a tenth of the people were to move from the villages to the city. Live where God wants you to live, but then stay as long as God wants you to stay. In other words, settle down. Put down roots. Bloom where you're planted. If God wants you to move somewhere along the way, and really this is maybe not the exact message you guys need to hear because many of you are settled and been here for years and probably aren't going anywhere. But, you know, share this with others, especially younger people. When God puts you in a place, stay there as long as God wants you to stay. Don't waste all your time wondering about what's coming next. Okay? Wherever you are, be all there. Now, what if people, because God does call people away at times, Right? If people didn't obey God, would we have missionaries tonight? If everybody said, no, I'm not leaving anywhere. I'm not staying here. I like this. I like Mama's cooking. I like, you know, Dad, you know, playing games and stuff. I'm not leaving. We wouldn't have people out all over the world sharing the gospel, would we? If God calls you to, to, to go, go. Now, listen, here's a big question we need to consider. Are you willing, are you willing to move 
if God told you to move? Are you willing to move? This comes down to discipleship. You say, well, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. That's the next place I want to move is heaven. Now, wait a minute. What if God calls you to move? Is He Lord of your life or not? Are you willing? I'm not saying He's going to. But are you willing to move if God tells you to move? If God God called you to pick up states and head in another direction, would you follow? Are you a disciple of Christ or not? Some want to know, well, how long are you going to stay here and be pastor? How long? As long as God wants me to stay. As long as you want me to stay. Uh, I serve at his pleasure and your pleasure. God brought me here. I'm here at God's appointment. You can kick me out tomorrow if you want to. Seriously. I serve at his pleasure and your pleasure. Because we're what? We're a Baptist church, congregational. We vote. We make decisions. I serve at your pleasure and his pleasure. I'll stay as long as God will let me stay. That's my desire. Live where God wants you to live. Stay as long as God wants you to stay. And thirdly, and we've got to hurry on this one. Do what God wants you to do while you're there. Do what God wants you to do while you're there. Did you notice in this chapter the different people that were mentioned? Verse 1 talks about leaders. Verse 10 talks about the priest. Verse 12 talks about those who did the work of the house of the Lord. Verse 15 talks about the Levites. Verse 19 talks about the gatekeepers. Verse 22 talks about the singers. In other words, there were different parts being played among the people there. This is the blooming part, I guess, of what we're talking about. Bloom where you're planted. Do what God wants you to do while you're there. God has things He wants to do in you and through you. We're not here just to fill up space. We need to all realize that. A lot of people come to church just to fill up space and warm a pew and just fill up some space. And they go out and come back next week and fill up space again. That's not what God's called us to do. God, want, God has things He wants to do in our life, through our lives. And as believers, we're to glorify God in all that we do. We're to grow more like Jesus. We're to go with the gospel. Does that sound familiar? That's our mission statement, isn't it? Yeah. Glorify God, grow more like Jesus, go with the gospel. Your life should be an offering to the Lord. Your life should be an offering to the Lord. Are you doing what God has called you to do while you're here? Not just in the church. I want you to think about this broadly. Are you doing what God wants you to do in the community? Are you doing what God wants you to do? If you're still employed, are you doing what God wants you to do? If you're retired from a position, are you doing what God wants you to do? Are you doing what God wants you to do in your family? Are you doing what God wants you to do in your church? What has God given you to do? See, some were Levites, some were gatekeepers, some were singers, some were leaders, some were priests. Here we have a pastor, we have deacons, we have a choir, we have Sunday school teachers, we have all sorts of places. Are you doing, are you blooming where you're planted? You see, not a member over at Rocky River. If you are, you let us know. We've got to, you know, take care of that, right? Now, supposed to be a member of both. You're not a member at New Home. You're not a member at First Baptist. If God's called you here, bloom where you're planted. You don't live at eight places all at once. You live here. Bloom where you're planted. Most everybody works one job. Some work two or three jobs. But while you're there, bloom where you're planted. What talents and gifts do you have? If you haven't done a spiritual gifts assessment, and I did that with pretty much everybody here. I went to the Sunday school class. We did a spiritual gifts assessment. If you've never done one, let me know. I'll give you a book and you can do one. You need to know what your spiritual gifts are. What role are you supposed to play? It's all of us working together, doing what God's called us to do. Let me ask you a question. We've got to close here. Can you look back on your life 
And I'll share with you a little bit tonight my story. Can you look back on your life and see God's guiding hand to get you where you are right now? Can you look back over your life and see that? You ever think about this? If one little thing had changed, you would be sitting here. You ever think about that? I think about it. If my wife hadn't come to college or I had decided to go to another college, we would be married. I don't think. And God could have still guided our steps, I know, but more than likely we would not have married one another. Um, if I said no to Hank, I don't, I don't want to go to, out there. It's too far. Uh, I wouldn't be standing here tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you can see God's guiding hand in the past in your life. Now, here's the truth. Here's the question. Will you trust his hand to guide you in the future of your life? That's the real question. We see his faithfulness. He's always been faithful to us. He's got us to this point. Why would we dare doubt him now when he's guiding the future as he has the past? Will you trust him? Will you obey him? Will you bloom where you're planted? Here's something I want you to think about as we leave tonight. No matter where we live, no matter how long we live, we're only here for a short time. We're only here for a short time. The old saying goes, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I don't know about you, but life is a dash. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Go on the tombstones over there, and there's a starting date, there's a birth date, and there's a death date, and in between is a dash, right? That dash is that person's life. We have a dash. A dash. How are you spending your dash? I want to encourage you tonight, bloom where you're planting. Live where God wants you to live. Stay as long as God wants you to stay. Do what God's called you to do while you're there. And if God does move you, do it again. Repeat the cycle until He calls you home. And then we'll serve Him for all eternity. That's a lot to get out of a little passage full of names we can't say, isn't it? (laughs) Don't ever skip over God's Word. There's treasures to be found. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and thank you for calling us together, a body of believers here tonight. We know that you have guided our hands and our steps and our very lives to be at this moment in history. Thank you for the opportunities before us. Thank you for the challenges. Help us in all things, Lord, to honor you. We believe you've called us here. We're here. Lord, we want to stay here as long as you'll let us stay. And Lord, while we're here, we want to do what you've called us to do. Help us in all things to honor Christ. Help us to live our life, our dash, for your honor and your glory. And then enjoy eternity with you. Dismiss us now in thy care and thy love. Watch over us and be with us now, we pray. In the Savior's name. Amen. God bless you.